I learned a long time ago to not come up here until I was invited by Tyler. And I, I try, every now and then I try to anticipate, you know, it's like the red light, you know, waiting to see when it's going to turn green. And I, I missed it this morning. So, thank you. Thank you. Um, in uh, continuing, continuing to think about and to have interest in the things going on in the Middle East right now, I want to just briefly remind you, I want to, I want to continue to pray, uh, I want to remind you also of the 37th chapter of Ezekiel, which is a, a fascinating chapter. It is, it is well known as the chapter, it's Ezekiel's vision of the dry bones, and um, he is taken in a vision to a place, and he sees this, this field full of bones, and uh, the, the bones begin to rattle, and they begin to come together and form skeletons, and then the skeletons uh, begin to have flesh on the bones, and, and so there are bodies there in the vision, but there's no life in the bodies, and, and eventually then God does breathe, breathe life back into those bodies, and they stand uh, up, and they are, they are alive. And so for, uh, from, from really... Uh, the, the destruction of the temple in, in A.D. 70 until 1948, uh, there was no nation of Israel on this planet. And uh, during that time, I think we can say that those bones were scattered. And what we've seen in uh, some of you in your lifetime, and then, you know, as, as we've continued to go along here, is we've seen that God has brought those bones together and he, they have been formed into bodies, uh, but as of yet, there is no life in those bodies, and I, I take that to mean spiritual life, and so um, I understand what happened in 1948, the founding of that nation, to be very possibly God bringing that nation back, and we are now awaiting the time when he breathes life into those bodies, and Zechariah 12 speaks of the, kind, the time when they will recognize him whom they have pierced, and they will mourn, and they will be saved, okay? And so, um, I, 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 am not, I am not suggesting to you that now is that time, but it is a good time to be reminded that we are indeed praying um, I, was, I was just listening to uh, something from, from Erica's dad recently, and, and he said at some point somebody came to him and said, you know, Bookman, it, it sounds like you love Israel more than you love Jesus. And he said, I don't love Israel more than I love Jesus. I love Jesus, but I love Israel because Jesus loves Israel. And, and, and so I, I would say that as your pastor, uh, I love Israel because I believe that God loves Israel, and I want to lead you to love Israel and pray for Israel. Um, and, and even as they're in this time of, of great heartache and great suffering, I don't know what God is doing. Perhaps these are the early saber rattlings of, of things that are promised to us. Perhaps those things are still uh, well off. But even in light of our basic series and how we've seen that these basics are so rooted in our anticipation of the coming of the Lord. I don't think it would be wrong of us to have our hearts a bit aflutter to say, could this be, could this be the beginning of, of Jesus returning very, very soon? We always know he could come at any time, 
but could we be recognizing that, that he may be coming very, very soon. So I want to pray this morning. I want to continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem as we are commanded to do, I would say, in Psalm 122, and to pray certainly for the believers who are over there and the work that they are doing. Uh, some of you have asked, have spoken to me about ways that you can help, about ways that you can contribute. If you want to come and talk to me personally, I've got some ideas for some of those things. We can talk personally. So let me pray as we approach this final basic this morning. Heavenly Father, we, we know that you are indeed in control of all of human history and that, that your throne, the vision of the throne that was seen by Isaiah and Ezekiel uh, many thousands of years ago, that you are still seated upon that throne and your eyes still go to and fro over the world. Nothing happens that you are not aware of. And Father, we also know that you have made very many great and precious promises to us, to us as Gentiles, who in, in your wisdom and, 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 and you know, to some extent in a way that nobody expected, that you have saved us, you have brought us to know you through your son Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross. Father, we thank you for that, and Father, we would join together, I would say, with the saints of old in praying that you would indeed bring your people, Israel, to a knowledge of you. Father, that if this is the beginning of a war that you would use uh, to call, cause them to call out to you, then we would ask that, that uh, as so many have cried out throughout history, come Lord Jesus, and so... Uh, bring an end to the wars and the, to the disease and to the natural disasters that have been caused by sin in this world. That is our cry. Um, Father, I want to I pray for uh, Jay's dad, Jimmy Donaldson, who has, been, uh, has had surgery. We thank you that that surgery has gone so well, at least so far. We thank you that he is recovering. We thank you that his pain is decreasing. And Father, we pray that you would continue to heal him, and we pray for Jay's mom, Miss Janice, that you would give her strength, that you would uh, give her exponential rest as she goes back and forth between the hospital and between home, and as she seeks to care for her husband. And Father, I pray that they would see the love of Christ um, through the church, through family, um, and that they would be comforted, and that they would they would indeed look forward to uh, new bodies uh, that, are, that are not afflicted uh, by, by sin and, and death as we endure here. And so to that end, we pray again, Jesus, come quickly and direct our hearts to your word this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now for something completely different. Um, there's a movie from 1977. I wonder if any of you remember... Uh, most of you probably weren't alive in 1977. It's called Capricorn One, and it was kind of a big deal back then. I see some nods. Uh, it had some, some kind of big-name stars from the era. The era. Uh, Elliot Gould, I ran into him at a Lakers game one time, uh, literally. Um, O.J. Simpson, Telly Savalas. Uh, so here's the plot. Uh, NASA is planning a mission to Mars, but the space program has endured you know, great unpopularity and they desperately need some success. And, and as you'll recognize, this is very much born out of the conspiracy theories of faked moon landings and stuff like this. Uh, this story, of course, is fictional. 
Um, everything is ready, and then just before takeoff, the astronauts are removed secretly to an undisclosed location, and an empty capsule, nobody else knows it's empty, is launched into space because the, a problem with the life support system had been discovered, and uh, without the oxygen, the astronauts would surely die. So NASA, being so desperate for success, take the astronauts to a soundstage uh, somewhere in the California desert, and they are instructed to become actors for the period of the mission. And so they are going to look like they're driving around on Mars. They are even like having, you know, conferences or tele, tele um, zoom, zoom, whatever it was in 1977 with their families back at home. And uh, no one on Earth will know the difference. Of course, in the end, nobody has actually been to Mars. And so I, I think this, this fictional depiction of this fake trip to Mars illustrates a, a great danger in the church. And so the danger is that when it comes to the mission of the church, that we would be fakers. Um, so, so many churches, I, I don't think it's a criticism, I think it's a reality that, that many churches today lack real supernatural power when it comes to, to gospel promises. And so, you know, we're not launching rocket ships. We may be launching programs, but if the people and the programs lack the Spirit of God, then we're just actors. And we're just trying to look like we are going about biblical ministry, uh, even though the, the power that belongs there isn't really present. So let me, let me take you back then to the introduction to this series, 2 Peter chapter 1, if you'll remember. His divine power has granted to us all that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. And as we've gone over, over and over again now, for eight weeks, the desire, the, 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 the goal for everything that we do is that we would know Christ and that we would know what it means to be partakers in the divine life, that we would know what it means to possess all that we need for life and godliness. And all of that is, is made a reality as we know Christ. And so my prayer is that God will keep Hope Bible Church from being just actors on a soundstage. And, and that, that, that we would be people who are actually operating out of the real, supernatural, spiritual power that has been promised to us, and that we're not just faking it. And Jesus himself, by the way, knew that this would be a problem. To this end, listen to Jesus' warning in, in light of, of knowing Christ. He says in Matthew 7, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And it, it's, it's striking to me how Jesus says in that passage, those who have, have done miraculous works and have prophesied and have done many things in my name. So 
we're only left to assume it, it was an all, all an act because Jesus says many will say, Lord, Lord, and, and, and then the reason that they're going to be dismissed is he says, because I never knew you. And so on that day, when I stand before Jesus, and you stand before Jesus, because that's what the Word of God says, we will all stand before him, the judge of all men. My bank account will not matter. My social status will be irrelevant. My health will have become a moot point. My comfort, my degrees, my accomplishments, all of these things are as the grass that withers and fades. And the thing that will matter most is, do I know Jesus Christ? And does he know me? And so I just, I want to start this morning as we talk about the mission of the church to remind you that the most basic, basic is that we know Jesus. That we have seen the holiness of God. That we have seen the sinfulness of of our sin, and that we have seen the amazing provision that is His blood covering our sin, His shed blood on the cross covering our sin, and that we have bowed the knee to Him and trusted in that blood to cover our sin, and that we have seen His grace, His grace to us in that He has forgiven our sin. And so I want you to know one last time that my goal in presenting these basics to you is not that we would learn better how to act like people who follow Jesus. My goal is that we would all know Christ. Stated by Paul in a passage I've mentioned many times over the last five years, him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's Colossians 1.28. The writer of Hebrews tells the elders of the churches that they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And so the goal of hope is to raise up mature believers in Jesus who know him. And Lord, have mercy on us, especially in this day, and keep us from being fakers and making a show of righteousness that does not come from transformed hearts. So before we talk about our sixth and final basic, I just I want to remind you of the first five. I mentioned uh, early on that this is a ministry of reminder. Maybe you remember everything I've said for the last seven weeks. I doubt it because I had to go back and remind myself uh, of some of this, okay? So I just want to be sure, and, and we'll take a quick refresher, Basic number one, Bible. I introduced you to this idea of Bible intake, that we are getting God's Word into our hearts by any means necessary. We are reading it. We are listening to it. We are conversing about it. We are memorizing it. We are meditating upon it. And we looked at 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3. Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander and like newborn infants, Long for the spiritual milk, the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Like a newborn infant. We have a lot of those around here. Go and talk to one of the new moms and ask her how a newborn infant longs for milk 
and then model that in your love for God's Word. Number two, basic number two is prayer. And three quick important ideas. The first is access. We have access through Jesus Christ. We can come boldly before the throne of God. We can burst into his throne room and ask our Heavenly Father for things. The second thing that we talked about was constancy. And remember that idea that we said in some senses we should be constantly talking to God. That yes, we should have devoted times of prayer individually, privately, and with others, but that we would just go through our day speaking with God. And the third, that call to prayer being motivated by the return of Jesus. 1 Peter 4, 7, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Basic number three was fellowship. Two important ideas here. First, that our fellowship is rooted essentially in our vertical relationship with Jesus. Again, if we know Christ, then we have fellowship with one another. Remember, we're friends-in-law. Remember the friends-in-law. Matt's friend is, it feels like he's my friend because I know Matt, and I like Matt, and he knows Matt, and he likes Matt, so it seems like the two of us would get along pretty well. And so you know Jesus, and I know Jesus, and so it seems as though we ought to be able to get along pretty well. And then that word translated fellowship, which means relationship and partnership. We are related to one another, we are a part of the family of God, and we are also partners in the sense that we are on mission together. We are part of the family business. And so we looked at Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And there it is again. Our fellowship with one another, our constancy in prayer, our constancy in fellowship is rooted in our expectation of the soon return of Jesus Christ. Basic number four, service. We are not just called to perform acts of service. We are to be servants. Christ identified as a servant. He came not to, ser not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We are a bondservant of Christ. He is our master, and he benevolently provides for us as we serve him. And so we follow his example, and we serve others. Continuing on in that passage in 1 Peter 4, he says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And then last week we talked about basic number five. As Christians, we are not called to just give sometimes. We are called to be givers. And we give because God gave. He gave his son. Jesus gave his life. And the biblical model is that we would give generously, cheerfully, sacrificially, deliberately, and voluntarily. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet he, for your sake, he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And so again, we follow Christ's example in giving all that we have 
uh, for the sake of him and for the sake of others. Which brings us then to basic number six. When we truly know Christ, we won't be able to hide it. Basic number six is simply mission. Jesus says, don't put your light under a basket, right? Hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I would suggest to you that if the love of God in Christ has captured your soul, you will shine the light of Jesus. Maybe not always. Maybe, maybe there will be difficult times. Maybe, maybe there will be times when you're struggling through things and, and the light dims for whatever reason, but your life should habitually be filled with what Paul calls the aroma of Jesus Christ. When people are around you, they should be able to smell Christ on you. We're talking here about evangelism. If, if you're new here, evangelism is simply a fancy word for speaking the good news of Jesus Christ to another person. And so we're going to look this morning, uh, as you might expect, at Matthew 28. The Great Commission is what this passage is called, the last chapter in the book of Matthew. And I would like to, this morning, just because uh, we can set the context for for the Great Commission, I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's not a long chapter. We'll start in verse 1, and we'll move down through verse 20. Uh, Matthew 28. I'll give you just a second to turn there. Easter in the fall today. We can celebrate the resurrection at Halloween as well as anybody else can. All right, now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. And he said, as he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead And behold, that he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold... Some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. And they said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we're just going to walk down through this Great Commission passage this morning, and I do want to back up just a little bit to to verses 5 through 7, and I want to start with this thing that I want you to see. Number one, the Great Commission begins with obedience. The Great Commission begins with obedience. So the resurrection was surrounded by a frenzy of activity. In spite of Jesus' clear teaching, the disciples really did not expect him to raise, to rise up from the dead. And so in the middle of the frenzy of the resurrection, we see a command stated and restated. So the angel says to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus. He was crucified. He's not here. And then she says, uh, the, the, the angel says to the woman, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him. So the angel says, he's not here. You should have expected that, but we'll leave that alone for right now. But go and tell his disciples to go to Galilee. Jesus will meet them there. But the disciples don't go to to Galilee. In the Gospel of John, we actually learn that they went and locked themselves in a room because they were afraid of the Jews. And so Jesus appears in that room. And he says, this is in Matthew 28, 10. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And I just want to point out one more thing. For the record, Jesus had already previously told them to go to Galilee. Uh, in Matthew 26, 31 through 32, this is on the evening before he was crucified the next day. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So three times, Jesus says, when I am raised go to Galilee. Thank you. That's all right. So here's the point. We're going to do a little point of application here already. We need to start by simply doing what Jesus says. So I've gone through a lot this fall in talking about these basics. And I think that we could have probably picked some other basics. And maybe at some time in the future, we'll do like basics part two. But I could have added one of the basics could simply be listen to Jesus and do what he says. So I want to offer you a word of comfort from this point, and I want to offer you a word of admonishment from this point. Here's the word of comfort, all right? The disciples were slow to listen, and so are we, right? Sometimes it takes multiple reminders, but Jesus is patient. Go to Galilee. When I'm raised up, go to Galilee. Hey, ladies, go and tell his disciples that you he, he, he should go ahead and meet him in Galilee, Hey, guys, just telling you, I want you to go to Galilee. Jesus is patient. He knows we are human. I would also like to say, some of you parents need to hear this. Jesus does not necessarily expect us to obey right away with a happy heart, right? He reminds us, and he doesn't blow his stack. Just saying. All right, number two, a word of admonishment. Stop fooling around 
and obey. Jesus speaks, we obey, and then he speaks some more. If the disciples had stayed in that locked room, they might not have made it to Galilee to hear the Great Commission. Jesus says, I'm not telling you what I, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what I have to tell you here in this room. You need to go to Galilee. He also says through John, stop being afraid. So we've talked about a lot of things these last seven weeks. If you're like me, God has probably shown you some things where you need to stop being afraid and obey. And I would say to you, don't stay locked in the room. Jesus doesn't expect us to obey everything at once. And I would say sometimes some very good counsel is to just do the next thing. Do the thing that is right in front of you. Do the thing that God has put it on your heart to do. Do that thing, and then he'll show you what to do next. So the Great Commission begins with obedience. Secondly, I, I want to point out to you that the Great Commission is very realistic. Verses 16 and 17, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, so they finally did what they were supposed to do, uh, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And I love how realistic the scripture is about these 11 young men. By the way, I think this is a wonderful apologetic for the truth of the scripture. You know, these guys are not looking to storm the gates of hell. They are worried. They are doubting. They are afraid, right? And Matthew puts that in here. We're actually told they worshipped him, but some of them still doubted. So they are obeying, but even in the obedience, there is a mix of fear and doubt, even after three years of intense discipleship with Jesus. And so to come into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ does bring, I think appropriately, a certain amount of awe and fear. And some of the steps that he is leading us to take right now may come with doubts. So if I take the time that I need to take to know Christ better, will I be able to get everything done? If I get up and go to church tomorrow, even though I'm really tired, am I going to be tired all week long? If I give like Jesus is leading me to give, am I going to be able to pay my bills? And so in our doubt and our fear, we worship and we trust and obey. And I know this sounds so unsophisticated to sophisticated ears. We want to be able to plan. We want to be able to be in control, but we're not in control. Jesus is. And so that leads us then to verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And this is a comprehensive statement of Christ's authority. And I, and I just want to say, you know, why, who, who has given Christ this authority? This authority has been given to Christ by the Father. I want to remind you of John 17. John 17 says, this was in that, that prayer that we looked at uh, last year, Father, the hour has come, Jesus says, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. What is eternal life? 
that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Brothers and sisters, when I talk about knowing Christ, I'm not separating out like being saved from some higher level of being saved, that is, to know Christ. To know Christ is to have eternal life. And who has authority to grant eternal life? Jesus does. Jesus has all authority, all authority in heaven, all authority in earth. Let me just, let me just take you down through the authority that Jesus has, just so that we're clear here. Jesus sustains the world. Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe with the word of his power. In him, all things are held together, according to Colossians 1.17. He has authority over wind and nature. Even the wind and the waves obey him. He is sovereign over Satan and his demons. The nations are as a drop in the bucket in his hands. He's sovereign even over the sinful acts of human beings. He is sovereign over your sin. He can redeem sin and he can punish sin. He is sovereign over salvation. When the disciples ask him after his encounter with the rich young ruler and they say, who then can be saved? He says, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And he's sovereign over death. Listen to Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Brothers and sisters, you may be troubled by what is going on in the world. You may be troubled by disease. You may be troubled by death. You may be troubled by natural disaster. But I am here to tell you that not a single thing escapes the authority of Jesus Christ. And I believe with all of my heart that he is working all things for the good of those who love him and for his glory. Vladimir Putin, Hamas, China, North Korea, not a single one of them can take a single step that is beyond his control. And we also know that Jesus Christ is able to use wars and sickness and natural disaster to accomplish what is impossible for men, which is to bring men to salvation. And that is the great good and the great glory of Christ. So when Jesus says all authority, he means all authority. And when we combine this with 2 Peter 1.3 and, and all that we have for life and godliness being provided for us, I want you to see how well provided we are. Jesus has all authority. He has given us everything we need. He has all authority over every heart that is seated here this morning. He has given us his word every time I speak to you. I trust that he has authority to use this revelation in your hearts. And if I didn't have that trust, I wouldn't be doing this because my efforts are futile. Which brings us then to the Great Commission 
And here's the interesting thing about the Great Commission. This is point number four. I think that's actually right. This is the interesting thing about the Great Commission. There's only one verb in this passage. There's only one verb. This is, this is where getting a little Greeky is actually helpful. All the other verbs in the passage are, are, are perceived verbs. They're all, they're all participles. All right? So, so basically, the, the one verb is make disciples. That's the one verb in the passage. So you would say, as you are going, make disciples. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The going, the baptizing, and the teaching modify the disciple making. This is the mission of the church. This is the mission of the church that Jesus is giving to his 11 disciples and that they have passed on to us. Those disciples went forth and they took the word of Christ. John, 1 John, in that fellowship where, you know, he had fellowship with Jesus. He touched him, he heard him, and then he passed that message on. And we have fellowship with each other because we have fellowship with Jesus Christ. Well, John or somebody told somebody, 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 and that message, if you are a Christian in this room, that message has reached us. Jesus started it. It's like the ultimate game of telephone, but nobody gets it wrong, and it changes hearts. The command is not to make converts. The command is not to make commitments. The command is not to get more attenders here in this room. The command is to make disciples. Just to be clear, a disciple is a learner. It is a pupil. The pupil is a learner from Christ. So the disciple listens to Christ's authoritative instruction and submits himself to it. So a disciple hears, understands, and obeys Jesus' teaching. And so the, deci- the command is for us, the, the, the basic is for us, the mission is for us, that we would become disciples, and then we would make disciples who make disciples, and so on. It's very important. We are not commanded to make disciples of us. Our goal is not that people would be like us. We want to lead people to be disciples of Jesus. We don't ever say, live like I live. We say, let me show you Christ and then live like him. Jesus says, make disciples of all nations. This is a huge statement. It deserves more time than we have this morning. Up until now, if you've read the Gospels, you know that Jesus has been saying, go only to the last sheep of Israel. He's been saying to the 11 disciples, the 12 disciples, and then the 11, just go to the lost sheep of Israel. Just go to Israel. Just tell them. Jesus specifically had a message to offer to the people of Israel. They rejected that message. And then having been crucified and rising from the dead, Jesus then tells his disciples, now you go to the nations to the Gentiles, and you let them know the message of the gospel. And so I'm guessing most of us in this room are probably Gentiles, and we are very happy, thankful 
grateful recipients of this great mystery that God, in his wisdom, has provided that the nations, too, can be blessed through Jesus Christ. God's promise to Abraham is fulfilled. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's us. That's us. Jesus says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, discipleship is characterized as a life of repentance and faith. So in the New Testament, to be baptized is always a demonstration. It's a, it's a follow-on a follow to repentance and faith. So baptism is simply a public expression of what has already taken place in the, in the heart. And it's an act that says, I want everybody to know I am following Jesus. In, in the New Testament, when you got baptized, you went down to a public place. John was baptizing at the river, and the crowds were coming. And if you got baptized, even with all those angry Pharisees standing around, you were proclaiming, I have repented, I've, I've put my faith in Jesus. It's a public expression of what has happened in the heart. And then finally, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. In making disciples, we teach them, we take them to Christ, and we teach them to do what he says. If you have believed, I, I would submit to you, if, I, I'm sure some of you are probably like, I'm not, I'm not equipped to make disciples. And I would say, if you have repented and you have believed, then you are able to tell another person about following Jesus Christ. And if you need some help with that, how do you make disciples? You teach them to read the Bible, pray, go to church, serve, give, and tell others about Jesus. I would tell you that in my experience, in my experience, a person who has become a follower of Jesus and has recognized the importance of the Scripture, the importance of prayer, and the importance of being a part of a local church is well on their way to becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ, because the Holy Spirit uses his word, uses prayer, and uses the church to teach us how to live as followers of Jesus. And then we go out, and we serve, and we give, and we tell others what we have learned. The Bible is a truly miraculous book. It's so simple. It's so simple that a child can understand it. It's so simple that a brand new believer can have their eyes opened and their life changed, and yet it's so profound that I believe its truth will never be exhausted. I think in heaven we will stand amazed at the profound, amazing, glorious Word of God. There's always more to learn. Brothers and sisters, I've been in ministry for over 20 years now. I've studied these things many times before, and I can tell you I have learned a lot over the last eight weeks of reading these basics, and I'm so thankful for that. Number five, the Great Commission does not leave us on our own. Verse 20, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus bookends this command with a promise of his authority and a promise of his presence. He says, I will not leave you alone. Back in John 14, he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then he promises. He says that crazy statement that we saw in John 14, that I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And, and somehow, it's even good for Jesus to go away 
Because then he will send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's presence in us, apparently, is even better than Jesus' incarnation with the disciples. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. His presence will never leave you. He will empower you, protect you, pray for you, and comfort you. Even in the darkness, he will show you God's love. Jesus, as he was returning to heaven, he didn't say to his disciples, okay, here's the, uh, here's the account number. I'm giving you a vault full of money in Switzerland to use. This is what I'm giving you. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I've amassed an arsenal of weapons out in the wilderness near the Dead Sea. Here's the key. Go unlock it. Take Rome by storm. He didn't say, I founded a university. I founded a seminary. And I want everybody to go there. And I want everybody to take classes. And I want you to learn. He didn't say that. He didn't build a gym. He didn't build a hospital. He didn't even establish a church in Rome. He said, I'm leaving you everything you need. And I'm sending you on a mission to tell others. And he promised in the process to always be with us. You see, the church has plenty of money in the West. And the church has plenty of degrees. And the church has plenty of stuff. Which means, just like Capricorn One, we can look like we're proceeding on the mission in the power that Jesus provides. And I would say once again, my prayer for hope is that we would be a church that is on mission for real. In conclusion, and I'm kind of concluding the whole series here, uh, I've mentioned in the series, I understand the church to have three primary purposes, that we exalt God, that we equip the saints, and that we evangelize the lost. So Paul tells the Ephesians that Jesus has given pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So my God-given responsibility is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And I would submit to you that then we all go out from here and we do the work of the ministry. I, I am more than happy for you to bring people to church. If you want to invite people to ch church, that's great. But I don't want you to see it as I need to invite people to church so that they can come here and, and hear the gospel and then the professionals there can, can make disciples. That's not the idea. The idea here is that I am equipping you so that you can go out and make disciples. And, and, and I go out and make disciples. And we do need to be, be careful that we're not so focused on maintenance that we're not working on mission. Because it's easy for us to all be real comfortable and come here together and talk about our sins and talk about our struggles, but never actually get out and share the gospel so that we make disciples. And so I do think that churches just like us, churches like Hope, we need to, to hear that command again to go and make disciples. And I'd like to issue a challenge this morning. We've got two months before the end of 2023, and I would like to challenge the members of Hope, myself included, the elders, young and old. I would like to challenge you to pray that God would lead you 
to tell three people about Jesus before the end of this year. That you would see the opportunity, that he would provide the opportunity, that you would see it, and that you would take advantage of that opportunity. I was playing golf on Wednesday, and my bag fell out of the golf cart, and my keys fell out of my bag. And I got to the car, and I didn't have my keys. And I looked all over, and I couldn't find my keys. And the person I was playing with left me. <laughs> and uh, so I went back to the, to the guys who had the golf carts, and I said, I've lost my keys. And I remembered that my bag had fallen off of my cart. And so I thought maybe they fell out of my bag. And so I'm driving with this guy in this golf cart. And I'm thinking about this sermon. And I start talking to him. And I say, how did you, you know, are you from Savannah? No, I'm from Pennsylvania. Uh, and I start talking to him about that. And I said, well, when did you move down here? And he says, well, I moved down here two years ago. We were going to retire here. But six months after we moved here, my wife died of cancer. We had two happy months, and she caught cancer, and she died four months later. Boom, right? And I don't even think I did a very good job, okay? But the opportunity presents itself. I, I, I think some of you in this room are very, very, you're way better than I am about just asking certain questions that turn the conversation and recognizing that God gives us opportunities to speak the gospel to people. Um, there's that little saying that goes around sometimes. You may have heard it before. Uh, it's, I think, erroneously attributed to St. Francis of Assisi that goes something like, you know, always preach the gospel if necessary, use words. And I think that's kind of dumb. I, I think we always need to be ready to use words. Paul says in Romans 10, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they hear, if, I'm sorry, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So we can live godly lives, but people aren't going to hear the, mystery, the, 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 the message of Jesus Christ just by osmosis. Sooner or later, we're going to have to actually speak the words of Jesus to them so that they can hear and they can believe. And let me just put this in perspective this morning. Jesus says, there is joy before the angels of God over every single sinner who repents. When a human being gets saved, it's a big deal. So let's go and give the angels a reason to celebrate. Okay, real quick, a few practical words. Um, number one, I do pray that God would raise up preachers and missionaries from among us. I know we don't pray like that very often these days, but I pray that some of your sons and daughters might go and be missionaries on the different side of the world, that they would get up and go. And I hope you pray that too. And at the same time then, the Great Commission is the mission of the church. And so as a body, we all have a role to play in making disciples and in supporting gospel work. And so some of you are able to give to support missionary work. All of us are able to pray for their safety, for boldness, and for wisdom. And we can care for them. We can support them. We can go and visit them and help them 
in any way that we can. Some of you are very, uh, like I said earlier, you, you converse very easily with strangers. Some of us aren't as good. Some of you get on an airplane and you can't wait to talk to the person next to you. Some of you get on an airplane, I'll put myself in this category, and I hope that person won't speak to me, right? And some of you are somewhere in the middle, all right? All of us, all of us can find ways to speak the gospel, to speak to those who are around us. I, um, I, don't, I don't think he'll mind me sharing this, but Tyler and I are both doing the e-gym thing where we go along, go around, you know, the, the um, it's, it's weightlifting for cheaters. Um, but, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, I see Tyler in there, and he's, like, talking to everybody. And I'm like, why am I here with Tyler? I've got to find a time very early in the morning because there's too many people here, and I don't want to have to be talking while I'm doing this, right? And I, I, I'm, I'm working on this aspect of myself, okay? Um, and, and I think that, 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 that Paul and Jesus and the disciples would say to us, pray about opportunities to speak and take those opportunities and trust that the Lord would give us those words. And then finally, for all of us, and this kind of gets to the, like, obey what's right in front of you. You know, you don't have to plan a mission trip. You don't have to, you know, have a, a new evangelism strategy. You can start with talking to the people around you at school, at work, on your sports teams, in your neighborhood. Uh, I'm certain that the Spirit of God is already bringing people to mind, to all of you, because that's what he does to me, and I know he's probably doing that to you. Okay, so in our introduction to the series, I said that this was a ministry of reminding. Peter says, therefore, I will always remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in them. And so as we close this series this morning in the spirit of reminding, we're going to turn to the table, uh, to Jesus' table as we consider his reminder. And so every week we do this little meal together, and we gather and we take this meal so that we don't forget that Jesus gave his life for our sins. And so these basics, I would suggest to you, are embodied in this meal. We, we feed on God's word. We have access to prayer through his blood. We take this meal together in fellowship with one another. We serve one another as Jesus served. Jesus even washed the disciples' feet on the night when he instituted this meal. He gave his body and his blood, and so we give and today we leave here on mission to take and make other disciples and remind, uh, be reminded so that we can, we can go out and tell others about Christ. All right, let me, uh, let me pray. Let me say this, that the, the, our brothers and sisters are going to hand out the, the bread and the cup. Hang on to it. We will partake together as we always do. Um, and uh, let me pray. Father, uh, thank you for this series. I thank you for the stories uh, that we have heard. I thank you for the, the, the way that there have been good small group conversations and good conversation in homes. And Father, I pray that, that this would be, even though these things seem so simple um, and so basic, that this would move our uh, church, the, the, our gathering, to, to be more active in, in, in knowing Christ and making him known to those around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.